What is up, bosses? Super excited to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Polymarket. It's the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on the blockchain. If you're a news junkie and you're following everything that's going on in the market, maybe you think Trump will run for president again or the U.S. will have record high COVID cases. If you think you know the answer to these questions, you can trade on those beliefs and even earn a return if you're right. I'm going to tell you all about Polymarket later in the show, but if you want to get a sneak peek, just go to polymarket.com to make your account today. And for a limited time, when you use referral code BOSS, you'll get up to $100 reimbursed on your first trade. So head over to polymarket.com. That's P-O-L-Y-M-A-R-K-E-T.com. Referral code BOSS. Get up to $100 reimbursed on your first trade. Like I said, I'll tell you more in a few minutes, but for now, let's get the show started. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny FD, and welcome to episode 189 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm in Kharkiv, Ukraine, and Derek is out in Venice Beach, California. What is up, Johnny? You're in Kharkiv, so you haven't been back to Kiev since we were there, right? That was God over two weeks ago now. Yeah, I was in. I, I hung out in uh, Odessa for about a week, and I came to Kharkiv for the last two weeks, and it's been great. I actually looked at a few more apartments, and I almost made a deal on one today, but I I kind of stopped myself. <laughs> you you are becoming like the big boss landlord of Ukraine. There are worse places in the world to be, be the big mouth landlord. <laughs> the deals are just so good that it's it's hard not to. You know, I, I'm actually glad we didn't go to Kharkiv because judging by these prices, I think I might have been tempted to pick one up too. I know. Like, I mean, this place, the only reason why I didn't buy it was it was, the price was amazing. It was just too big of a place. And, and I'm just thinking, I don't want another big apartment. I want, I wanted like another, you know, one bedroom, a studio apartment, easier to, to manage and to have. But it's a, yeah, it, it's a funny, funny world we live in where there's opportunities everywhere. And in fact, the main reason why I didn't buy it is because I didn't have enough free cash and I would have had to have sold some of my stocks to buy it. And I realized I like having my stocks more than I like having uh, a third apartment. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And the studio router is definitely a better bet, I think, because you're doing the Airbnb thing. So I th- I'm I've, at this point, I've been home like 10 days. And since I got back from Ukraine with you and one thing I really, really miss about the Ukraine, I got obsessed with it while we were there, but it was Georgian food. Mm. And I was like, how have I never had this before? And what is this the thing? So I looked it up in Los Angeles. There is like three Georgian restaurants in all of L.A., and I happened to go to one in uh, shout out King Kali house in Glendale, California. I specifically went there because uh, King Kali was my favorite thing. It's these, uh, these Georgian dumplings that are just, I don't even know how to explain them. They're just amazing. Yeah. They're, they're like a big Shaolong Bao. If you ever had the Chinese dumplings, they're just like, like a bigger version, but it's kind of heartier and it's normally filled with, with like lamb and some kind of uh, herbs. Yeah. And they're just, um, I don't know. They just look cool too. <laughs> so I had to try it out. I will say it was 
almost as good as the ones in Ukraine, but they also did this other one too, Johnny, that was like amazing. So they took the Kinkali, the boiled ones, but then they, they had uh, these other ones that they also, they deep fried them too. So they're like a, almost like a, like a crispy, like wonton. They were really good. So in Georgia, they do that, but only with Kinkali's that have been sitting out after you've been drinking for an hour or two and you're too full to eat them, but then they'll bring them <laughs> into the kitchen. They'll deep fry them and then they'll bring them back out as kind of like a third hour snack. You know, it's normal to sit around and just have vodka or have some, you know, Georgian wine, probably Georgian wine more than vodka and just kind of just hang out with friends and just, you know, drink for hours and hours. And it's, it's a great part of that tradition. I'm glad that in Glendale, they just served on the menu because I sometimes just want to order it, but they're like, no, you have to order it fresh. Let it get, let it sit there and get cold and then we'll fry it for you. That's actually a good call because honestly, they're not that good once they get cold. So once they're really hot, they're good. But I could see that if they're, you know, if they're getting a little cold, maybe go pop them in the deep fryer. <laughs> and that whole thing about uh, just sitting around for hours and, and drinking and having friends and family come and everything that totally happened at this place because there was a table next to us that started out with like, I don't know, like six to eight people. And then by the time we left, there was probably 25 people at this table and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Were they Georgian? Uh, I'm not sure. Georgian or, or it's a big Armenian community, too. So um, kind of, you know, a lot of the people from that region, I guess, maybe want to hang out there. And it was just it was wild because I was like, how big is this table going to get? They kept like adding to the table and the group got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm glad that it exists and it's good because I didn't think it existed in the U.S. at all. Like I've never heard of Georgian food until I got to Ukraine. Yeah. And honestly, I mean. I don't, I couldn't name any other cuisine that only has three restaurants in LA. So it's definitely off the radar, but put it out there. If you have a Georgia restaurant in your town, go and check it out. If you haven't been, because I'm definitely going to go back. Absolutely. And if you don't have one in your town and go to Georgia, go to Tbilisi or come to Ukraine. Uh, by the way, how much was it? How much was the Kinkali's there? So I think we had about, Oh, I remember now. So the, the regular ones, the boiled ones were uh, $2.85 each. And the fried ones, I think, were $3 each. Ooh, that is much, much, much more than... It's, it's probably more than double. I think maybe even maybe even triple the price as it is here in Ukraine and probably four or five times as much as it is in Georgia. Yeah, that makes sense. But also, I think a little bit of, of COVID is factored into that too because I was you know doing a little Yelp research beforehand. And all the pictures of the menu showed, you know, $2.50 for each of them. And then I got there and it was about $3. So I think, you know, a little lockdown time and they're adding a little, little extra on the top. I've noticed that at a lot of places recently. But $2.50 or $2.85 for a one Kinkali. That's insane. Cause you can't it was worth it, Johnny. <laughs> I'm sure it was worth it. But you got like, how many did you eat? Cause you have to have at least five of them to be full. Yeah, I think I had I had like four, but then we ordered a bunch of sides too. So yeah, but I, I would have been happy just eating a table full of Kinkali. Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I, I was wrong because I remember ordering a box of like 20 Kinkali for 12 <laughs> bucks. So yeah, they're like 50 cents a piece. Normally. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Just like everything else, but you know, I'll get over it. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today because speaking of, you know, having uh, cash, getting some money, talk about getting... Those dividends. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I was actually just talking to my my buddy Ben today about 
how he can just, you know, like what's he going to do when he retires? And I, I finally explained to him, you know, the concept of, you know, the investing or the 4% rule. And I said, you know what, if you really wanted to, you could just even turn off automatic dividend reinvesting and just cash out, you know, 2% or, or more and just live off of that and just let the rest of the stocks grow. And like, you'll never touch your 10,000 shares of whatever it is and just, just live off of that. And if you have enough cash, you can live in cheap, cheaper places, Thailand, Ukraine, Eastern Europe, South America, even smaller towns in the US living off of just your dividends if they're high enough. Yeah, I think we're going to be seeing that a lot. So our guest today is Kevin Martin. And I, I think that's actually what he's doing right now. As, uh, from what I remember, he's in, he's in Thailand right now. Yeah, he just got back to Thailand. He, I met him while, while traveling. I think I might have met him in, actually in Thailand a few years ago. But since then, he's been doing the whole van life thing. You know, he's bounced around to, you know, he was living in Hawaii for a bit in just different countries. But yeah, he's back in Thailand. But he's also not just, you know, living off, off dividends or any of his uh, invested income, but he's also kind of like you too, where he, he definitely lives below his means. And he always, even if he has a really small income, he said, you know, he can, he can live below his means and still put some in his investments. So no matter how much money he's coming in, you, you really got to be, you know, mentally trained to know that, you know, I don't need a ton of money to live on. And I think that that kind of goes with this dividend investing where it can be done, but you're, you're not going to be uh, balling out buying everything you see either. Yeah, definitely. You know, so unless you, you know, somehow sold a business or won the lottery or just, you know, made a ton of money that's just sitting in the bank, you're not going to live like a baller off of dividends. Cause you know, as you're gonna find on this episode, even a, a good account might be two, three, four, five, you know, percent. And, it has benefits because it's kind of like free money, but at the same time, it's still a pretty small percentage of you know of your total uh, investment. Which means, if you want to you know ball out and live off of ten grand a month or twenty grand a month, you're gonna have to have a really big uh, investment nest egg. What Kevin is gonna be talking about and kind of his lifestyle is kind of a hybrid. It's very similar to what I do. Is you know you travel uh, to cheaper countries, you enjoy more of a minimalistic life. And you still earn money um, along the way and just kind of stash a lot of that side to kind of grow that nest egg slowly. So your dividends also grow and you can reinvest it as well. Yeah, this is definitely a long play. This is not a you know get rich quick thing. I, I bought some Bitcoin and now it's quadrupled in four months. So I'm really interested to hear what Kevin has to say about dividends and kind of his philosophy in finding these dividend stocks. And just... Uh, I don't know. I guess the, the, the security of dividends is kind of what I'm concerned about too, because you know, there, there's a ton of companies that have been paying out uh, consistent dividends for years and years and years, but especially with, uh, you know, like COVID hitting last year, there's, there's lots of circumstances where that dividend could just end tomorrow and, and you just never know. So I'm interested to hear what it, what he has to, has to talk about that as well. Yeah. And I want to hear about his you know, investment philosophy because it's not just about buying a stock with high dividends already. Actually, he does the opposite where he wants to buy when the dividends are still low, but they're growing. So let's have on Kevin. Let's pick his brain a bit and let's find out what his dividend philosophy is as well as his lifestyle philosophy. 
This week's episode of Invest Like a Boss is sponsored by Polymarket. It's the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on the blockchain. Seriously, they have something for everyone. Whether you think you know where the crypto market's gonna go or you know all about inflation or maybe politics or even stuff like who will be the next Jeopardy host or how many albums will Kanye West sell in his first week? Literally everything is on Polymarket. Market. They're the go-to platform to settle the biggest debates of the day. If you think you know more than the market, you can even trade on those beliefs and earn a return if you're right. If you want tomorrow's news today, use Polymarket to see real-time data on what the market thinks will happen. There's no fake news here, no pundits without any skin in the game, because guess what? Everyone who trades on Polymarket is using their own money, so they're going to put their actual opinion into how they think these things will shake out. So head over to polymarket.com, make your account today, and for a limited time, when you sign up with referral code BOSS, you'll get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. That's right, we're giving you $100 back on your first trade just for using referral code BOSS at polymarket.com. I'll even spell it out for you, P-O-L-Y-M-A-R-K-E-T.com, referral code BOSS, or if I haven't made it clear enough, just click the description in the podcast show notes to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on the show, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we had a super interesting chat about uh, your kind of your background and your travels on Travel Like a Boss, but you had talked a lot about investing. And I think uh, this is kind of going to kick off our series about invest like a boss listeners and what they invest in themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to be, uh, be a part of that. It's really cool that we uh, kind of figured out that, Hey, maybe this would be a good, uh, a good episode for invest like a boss. Yeah. Cause you're basically living the life that I think a lot of listeners want. I mean, you're able to travel the world full time, you know, uh, follow your, your passions and live off of your investment income. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started traveling full-time, I lived, I lived off nothing but my, my passive income sources until I built my first YouTube channel up to where it would support my travels, which was my goal. And, and that allowed me to just live off that YouTube income and take that passive income and create more passive income. How did it feel when you were first kind of dipping into, I don't, I don't want to say you know, I guess you weren't dipping in your savings, but it, you weren't growing, right? You weren't seeing your your net worth growing. How did that feel? I was still growing because I've always lived below my means. I, I've always lived a pretty, like, I don't want to use the word frugal because I think I live a, a pretty great lifestyle, but I always, you know, I, I prefer studio apartments. I travel a lot. So I live in places like Thailand where you can get a really nice place for $500 a month. So even when I was traveling full-time with remote year, paying $2,000 a month, I was still able to invest uh, some of my, some of the passive income I had coming in, even without making active income. And I'm such, I'm, I, I always want to be investing. So I started teaching English with a company called VIP Kid to bring in a little bit of side income, you know, do a little side hustle. And so I was doing that as well. 
uh, during that time, but my net worth obviously wasn't growing as fast as I was used to. So that was, especially, you know, I was a lawyer before that. So my net worth grew pretty fast, you know, grows pretty fast when you're making, you know, two, $300,000 a year. Were you investing while you're a lawyer? Uh, yeah. So I was only a lawyer for two years. I was in the military before that uh, for 20 years. And I've been investing since, uh, since the nineties, since I joined the military in 1994. Uh, I mentioned in your podcast that I was I was always interested in investing because I grew up in, you know, a household that lived paycheck to paycheck, and I wanted to figure out how not to do that. And so I started reading investment books when I was younger about real estate investing uh, and about investing in the stock market. So I've always uh, been investing. I haven't always made the best investment decisions, but the lessons I learned early on kind of formed, you know, helped form the kind of investor. Uh, I am now, and now I'm, I, I make pretty decent decisions. Uh, what were some of those early investments? Uh, so I started investing in 1994. So, you know, right at the height of the dot-com boom. So I was investing in, you know, anything you can think of that had dot-com after it, you know, cars.com, <laughs> diapers.com, like anything that had the name dot-com uh, after it, I would uh, I would invest in. The only good investment I made, and I wish I still had it because I went back and looked at what it would be worth now, was I bought Amazon.com back in the 90s. And I sold it for a pretty good profit back then. But I look at it, what it would be worth now, it'd be worth $21 million now. So I look yeah. back at that and I'm like, oh, if I just would have, if I just would have been a buy and hold investor back then, like I am now, even if all my other stocks went bust, which a lot of them did. Um, uh, I would have $21 million from just that Amazon investment. So you only got to, you only got to get one of them, right. Is kind of what that mm -hmm. proved to me. And also kind of, you know, showed me that buy and hold is the way to go. I also owned, I was a big, uh, you know, I was from St. Louis and, and, and there was an airline called TWA it doesn't exist anymore. And I was invested in it when it went out of business. But uh, so I bought, it, it was the St. Louis, uh, St. Louis based airline. And I bought, a bunch of TWA stock because of my mind, I grew up with TWA always flying in and out of St. Louis. I never thought it could go bankrupt, but I didn't look at the financials. Had I looked at the financials, I would have realized that it was not a good investment. Mm. You know, that actually has a lot of parallels to, I think the the cryptocurrency um, boom that we're having now, where if you had, you know, if people had bought, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, any of the, the the top 10, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, they can, can like literally be worth $21 million today. The problem is we never know which ones to buy, which ones to hold, because in retrospect, in looking back, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, Amazon yeah. now is worth so, so much, but there weren't, there weren't just, you know, a hundred stocks. There, there were probably thousands of companies that literally worth nothing today that if you had bought and held, you know, those other 99, you know, 9,999, they would be worth nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had stocks like that. I just mentioned one, TWA. I think it was it was called something like diapersomething.com or something. I can't remember the name of it, but they all they sold was diapers. Back then, it was mm -hmm. very niche for a dot-com company to just specialize in one thing. Like no one really had the Amazon idea where you just be the Walmart of, of uh, dot-coms. Everyone had a niche, you know, like diapers, mm -hmm. you know, things like that, tissue paper. And nobody was going to actually go to 20 different websites to buy their, to buy their goods. But we, we all didn't realize that yet. Well, even Amazon started with just books. Yeah. Amazon was just books. Yeah. And it was just used yeah. books at first. 
Oh, yeah, interesting. So, so how how does that strategy change? What do you invest in now? Now I'm more of a dividend uh, growth investor. I do well. Let me let me backtrack. So I have TSP, which is the military's version of an IRA, uh, IRA or 401k. I have an IRA, self-directed IRA, and I have a Roth IRA. That's where most of my investing has been has been done in, in those accounts, my stock investing. And so I, I hold a lot of like normal things like people do, uh, Vanguard uh, and things like that. But one of my accounts, I started doing, uh, one of my retirement accounts, I started doing dividend growth investing, which is basically buying stocks that have a proven track record of not only paying dividends, but growing their dividend over time. So the theory is if you you know buy a hundred dollar stock and it pays you a dollar today, you know, in 10 years it's gonna pay it's gonna be paying you twenty dollars because they've grown their dividend. So your passive income is gonna grow over time by owning that stock. And so that's one of the characteristics of dividend growth investing. And that's kind of what I'm focused on now. Uh, as I'm getting older, uh, I'm not really worried about building a big pile of money that I that I can you know take four percent out of and make it a smaller pile. I want a pile of money that pays my rent, that pays me every month, and I don't have to dip into any of the any of the capital. Oh, that's smart. So right now, as you're kind of going through this you know investing phase, do you have the auto reinvest uh, dividends uh, turned on or off? Yeah, on on most of my require uh, retirement accounts, I have the I have the auto turned on, but my dividend growth investing one, I don't, I kind of manage that one. Although as we discussed on your other podcast, I'm starting a taxable account. And so I'll probably quit investing in that one and just turn on auto dividends, auto, auto reinvest. And I'm going to just focus on building that taxable account with a dividend growth investing strategy in mind with the ultimate goal of that account being able to to pay for my travel expenses. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the dream for a lot of people. So uh, some people actually you know, probably don't even understand the difference between a dividend growth stock and like a normal stock uh, that doesn't pay dividends at all. Because like, for example, you know, like Tesla probably doesn't pay any dividends at all, right? Yeah, yeah, so but, stocks yeah. usually go through two phases. They have their growth phase. And, um, you know, so they're, they're, they're taking all their capital and they're reinvesting in the business to continue to grow like Tesla. I don't even think Tesla sells a million cars a year yet. Um, and so in the world of car manufacturers, they're very tiny, actually, <laughs> you know, when you really think about, think about it, but they've got, you know, they've got this, they're really a technology company when you really, you know, peel back the layers, but in a battery company, um, but they're in that growth phase at some point, probably 20 years from now, when Tesla set, when Tesla's selling, you know, a zillion dollars worth of batteries and a zillion cars all over the world, they're going to be, they're not going to be able to grow as fast, but they're still going to be making all this cash. And now they're going to be in a phase where they've got to do something with that cash. Right. And if I own the company and you're not growing, you better give me the money. And so that's what, that's what, um, that's what dividends really end up being. There are some companies that go immediately to dividends like utilities and, and telecommunication type companies, but most companies go through a growth phase first and then they start paying dividends. A good example is Microsoft and Apple. Both of those companies 
didn't pay dividends forever because they were growing. But now they're both they're both considered really good dividend growth investing stocks, even though they don't have a high current yield. Their yield, their their dividend is growing really, really fast. Both of those companies. So they're actually they're those stocks you'll see in a lot of dividend growth investing portfolios now. Even though most people in their mind think Apple and Microsoft are kind of in that tech area and they're growth stocks, but because they're growing their dividend so fast because they're giving money back to shareholders, um, they're actually moving into a lot of dividend growth investing portfolios. Sorry, that was a long answer. Yeah, no, but that that, that was the best explanation I've ever heard on why some companies pay dividends and some don't. You know, like Coca-Cola, for example, you know, uh, they don't need money to grow anymore. I, I think they're already big and with extra cash that they're, they don't, they probably don't even really know where to deploy it. You know, yeah, they're, they can't, they're not, I mean, yeah. It's hard for them to grow unless they acquire, unless they acquire new things. Like a lot of people don't know, uh, Coca-Cola actually owns a lot of other brands. Um, and that's, that's how they try to grow. Um, but their primary way of growing is basically, you know, the, as cost of living goes up, the cost of a Coke goes up and that's their primary way of going of growing. And they're like one of the classic dividend growth investing stocks, although they're, they're, they're not so much growth anymore. Their dividend still grows every year. Um, but it doesn't grow at a high, at a high rate anymore. Their competitor, Pepsi. Uh, so most people think those, when you compare those two, it's like comparing apples to apples, but it's really like comparing apples to oranges because Pepsi sells cola. They slang cola all over the world. They're number two, but they also own Lay's potato chips. They own Gatorade. They own Doritos. So they have, a, you can't swing a dead cat in Thailand without seeing a bag of Lay's potato chips, right? So that's yeah. how Pepsi has been able to kind of pass Coke as like, um, as, as a dividend growth investing stock. If I look, if I line those two stocks up side by side, I'd buy Pepsi all day long uh, and twice on Sunday because they just have a better portfolio of things um, you know, like, uh, Coke owns like Powerade, you know, people don't buy Powerade, they buy Gatorade. So, you know, same thing, uh, Pepsi owns Aquafina, I believe, which is like the number one water in the world. So, so yeah, um, I don't even know where I was going with that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those are yeah, two but good, it, good it, examples of dividend payers, but, but different, even though they look like the same thing, they're really not the same thing. Yeah. It really, really makes sense. And actually I was looking it up, uh, I don't, I, th- I think they, they formerly owned um, these companies, but at some point, Pepsi owned Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC, like a lot yeah. of these big uh, companies. You know? Yeah, they spun it off into a company called Yum. Yum actually owns uh, KFC, Taco Bell, uh, and all those, all the companies connected connected with that. Uh, so there's actually a, a, a its own company now called Yum. But yeah, Pepsi used to own, own those. And they yeah, made a ton so of money it, spinning it off. Oh wow! So how like how do they make money spending it off? I... Uh, basically, they you know they they start a new company and a bunch of people buy shares and since they own it, they get all the the proceeds from that. Oh, that's funny. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, the stock market. It, it, like the 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 day I wake up and I think I understand the stock market, I learn something new, and this is why I like doing this podcast so much. Yeah, that's why I like listening to your podcast. I learn about I, I know the stock market pretty well, and I know a little bit about real estate investing, but. Um, I, I like learning about all the different things. Like I'm, 
I don't understand crypto. And <laughs> so I like listening to some of the podcasts about that, try to learn it a little bit better. Yeah. So, yeah, I think all of us are kind of learning and growing uh, along the way. And it is interesting to to see that there is no one way of investing. You know, I remember in the first 10 episodes when I first, you know, learned a lot about uh, index funds and the the benefits of kind of a diversified index fund. I told Sam, I said, you know what? We can stop doing a podcast now. Like we're done. Like we yeah. found the Holy Grail. But since then in the, you know, 150 plus episodes, we realized that there's so many different ways to diversify. Yeah. And also, you know, even the dividend stocks versus, you know, the growth stocks, there, there are use cases for both. I mean, with dividend stocks, it, it seems like it's not going to grow. You know, these stock prices aren't going to grow that much. You know, if the stock price is $200 a day, it's probably not going to be that much more than $200 in, you know, five years from now, but you'll be, you, you, the dividend itself might grow. Yeah. Well, if you're buying good dividend growth stocks, though, you pro- they probably will be worth more. Right now, dividend growth portfolios are kind of kicking the rest of the market's butt because they own stocks like Johnson & Johnson. They own stocks like Pepsi. They own stocks like Microsoft and Apple now because those are, those are stocks that are increasing their dividend at like crazy rates now. Um, so they, are, they, they can perform well if you buy the right stock. Like if a younger person wants to do a dividend growth portfolio because they want to build up enough passive income to quit their job, like I would advise them to, to look at stocks that have maybe a lower starting yield like Apple or Microsoft, but that are growing that yield at like 10, 15, 20% a year in some cases. And, you know, buying those stocks now where someone that's a little bit older you know, they might buy a stock like Johnson and Johnson that has a consistent three percent yield no matter what, but still growing. Uh, you know, st- it's still a stock that you know ten years ago was fifty dollars, and now you know it's almost a two hundred dollars stock. So it's still you know that stock's still growing. I mean, everyone's sucking down their vaccine now, so they're going to make a ton of money uh, off that. And you know, so you you can still have a portfolio that grows. Um, that, that grows the capital. But what I try to tell people all the time is the great thing about dividend growth investing that I like is that capital doesn't matter. And, and I don't mean that like in a nonchalant way, but if you buy the right stocks, like you buy dividend aristocrats, which are, which are a group of stocks that have paid dividends consecutively for 25 years and raised it all 25 years, or you buy dividend kings, which are stocks that have paid dividends for 50 years at least and raised them all 50 years. If you buy high quality stocks like that, it doesn't matter whether your capital goes up and down, you're still going to continue to receive those checks, you know, every quarter from that company and they're going to continue to grow them because they have a track record of doing it and they like being on those lists. They like being on that list of dividend aristocrats or um or dividend kings, uh, companies like Coca-Cola, companies like Johnson and Johnson, uh, and that's what Apple and, and Microsoft are trying to do. They're trying to get on those lists because then all of the all of the ETFs devoted to dividend aristocrats and dividend kings have to buy them, and so that mm. you know again juices their their stock if that makes if that makes sense. So that's one of the beauties of a dividend growth investing portfolio is you don't really have to worry about capital because you're going to get that check every quarter 
whether the stock price is up or down. Like that. So uh, as far as, you know, these funds that you mentioned, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, picking individual uh, dividend stocks versus investing something like Vanguard's, you know, you know, whatever, uh, whatever high dividend fund? Yeah, VYM is like one of Vanguard's. And there's another one that's really good called SCHD, which is Schwab's. There's two, those are two of the really, really good ones, VYM and SCHD. And I tell people all the time, if you don't want to do the work, then those are the, that's the way to go if you want to, you want to build uh, a dividend um, growth portfolio um, without having to do, to do any of the work. Uh, that's the way to go if, you, if your goal is dividends. But if your goal is just to be invested in the stock market, like I always use you as an example to people, like you did it the smart way. You didn't really want to manage it. So you put it in the best fund that you can put it in, Vanguard, and you know, your zero turned to a million dollars. You know, so it, there's, no, there's no right way to do it. But I would tell someone if they want to pick individual stocks, then they need they need to learn, and they're probably not going to beat those. They're probably not going to beat those ETFs. Um, but I just have fun doing it. So uh, you know, I like the challenge of trying to beat the ETFs, and I know I'll be somewhere somewhere close to it. <laughs> okay, makes sense. And what are your thoughts on the kind of non-traditional uh, dividend funds? So not like the the you know the Pepsi's or um, or, you know or. Xerox or whatever else is a big one, but things like uh, REITs or MLPs, where because of the structure, they have to pay out you know, you know most of their dividends uh, and just not keep profit in the company. Yeah, there's actually a couple. Um, there's actually a couple of REITs that are dividend aristocrats, and and I think there's I don't think there's one that's a dividend king yet, but there's definitely a couple that are dividend aristocrats. One's called Real Realty Inc., and the other one I think is called Stag. So there, I mean, there's definitely room. Uh, there's definitely room in a dividend growth uh, investing portfolio for REITs, especially the ones like Realty Inc. that increase their dividends, that have increased their dividends every single year for the last 25 straight years. You know, even during the economic downturn, they increase their dividend. They've never had a dividend cut. And so there, there's definitely room in a portfolio for that. Um, out, outside of those, you always have to be careful when something has a high yield. A high yield is usually an indicator. Like when I say high yield, I'm talking like those eight, 10, 12% yields. When, when a thing has a starting yield at that level, that means there's something wrong there. And maybe they'll be able to do it. Maybe they'll be able to sustain it. But I made a mistake probably about 15 years ago, uh, maybe not that long ago, but I invested in a REIT called Annalee Capital Mortgage. A lot of people uh, have probably heard of it that are listening um, you'll see YouTube videos about it all the time. I see people, you know, talking about how great it is. I owned it back in the day and they made so many dividend cuts while I owned it that their stock price kept falling. And so their dividend always stayed high, but it was, it just ate up my capital and they kept cutting their dividend. And it was just a terrible, terrible investment. And that was me chasing yield. So if you want to get into the dividend uh, growth investing game, it's not about starting yield. It's about investing in companies that have a decent yield, you know, two and a half to 4%, but continue to raise that dividend every year. So your dividend is going to grow. So maybe your dividend that you, maybe the dividend you get when you buy the stock is 3%, but 10 years from now, the dividend on that, on that stock, on your initial cost is going to be like 28%. Uh, That's, I mean, that's the Warren Buffett 
way, right? Warren Buffett gets like $1.5 billion in dividends from Coca-Cola. You know, he's, he's only invested in Coca-Cola once a long time ago, right? His dividend has just grown over time. And um, so, yeah, I would say you got to be really careful with that stuff. And that's not really my area of expertise. That's not really dividend growth investing. Those are just, those are just high yielders that, uh, that have to have a high yield to attract attracted investors. And you really got to dig into their financials to make sure they're not in too much debt uh, so they can service that, that dividend. And uh, yeah, check their earnings, see if their earnings are growing. Okay. Makes sense. So in your personal portfolio, what is the lowest uh, dividend yield um, you know, stock you have and what's the highest? So, well, my, my, my di- so I'm starting a new portfolio to kind of show people from zero on up how to build one. So that portfolio is brand new. So I really don't even want to, <laughs> I think the lowest yield in there is probably snap on tools, which is like a, an industrial tool company. Um, you've probably seen their tools before. Um, but in my normal, like, you know, my, my big accounts, probably, I mean, the lowest yield, probably, probably Apple or Disney. And what are those yield? Uh, Apple is, or Apple somewhere in the 1%, probably like 1.7 if that. I haven't looked at it in a while. Let me look it up real quick to see. Yeah, it's probably yielding, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, it's yielding under under 1% now, 0. 0.60. So, um, yeah, so that's definitely my lowest yielder. But if you look at their dividend growth rate, it, it's like through the roof. They're growing their dividend through the roof. It's actually really low because they just reported record earnings. So that's, you know, anytime your earnings go up, then your, uh, you know, your stock price goes up and your, your yield goes down. But, <laughs> but hopefully that okay. means they'll raise their dividend more. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. It, tell me more about this, this new project that you're working on where you're starting a portfolio from scratch. What, what are your kind of ideas on that? Yeah. So I, you know, a lot of people, I, when I tell people I traveled a year on just passive income. Uh, so I mentioned I was in the, actually, I don't know if I mentioned in this podcast, but I was in the military for 20 years. So I have a military retirement. So that's one source of passive income I have. And I also have rental income. And then it was, I guess it was kind of disingenuous to talk about the passive income I make inside of my retirement accounts, because I can't really access that right now. Um, but I, but if I, if all that money was in a taxable account, I would still be getting those dividends and I would still be, you know, paying a very low tax rate on those dividends. Um, because you only, you know, you pay a really low tax on dividends. You pay qualified, uh, income tax and, or qualified dividends. You pay 15% or below normally, uh, on that. So, um, I wanted to show people that I could build an account from zero only using my normal income. So I'm not going to take like, you know, $50,000 out of my emergency fund and throw it into this account and say, look, look at all this passive income I can generate off this. I'm going to invest whatever money I have left over from my military retirement, my rental income, and my, my YouTube income, um, which, you know, fluctuates anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 a year, but whatever I have left from my living expenses, I'm going to throw into that account and I'm starting it at zero. And I'm going to show people that, uh, you can build, you can build up a passive income source, um, yourself. It's not that hard. Uh, anybody can do it. People, people do it all the time. Uh, my, my long-term goal with it is that it pays all of my living expenses, that one passive income source, but I always like to break things down in short, 
you know, into short-term goals. So my first goal for the portfolio is to generate enough income in one year to pay for one month's rent in Thailand. So basically, you know, I'll have one free month's rent in Thailand. And that's, you know, I figured that's about $500. And I just started the portfolio the other day. I haven't made any videos yet, but it's already going to generate $240 this year. So I'm already halfway there and I haven't even really been trying yet. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break it into these little short-term goals and, and people can follow me and, you know, root against me or root for me. I like it. And how can they find you? Uh, so I just started the YouTube channel. It's called uh, Dividend Nomad, but I also bought the, I bought the website. So if you go to dividendnomad.com and just click the little button on there, it'll take you to my YouTube channel because my YouTube channel is so new, you probably wouldn't be able to find it if you typed in Dividend Nomad. Okay, great. And we'll leave a, a link to that in the show notes. And your travel channel is called 30 and a wake up. Uh, yeah. 30 you're going to talk about that real quick. Yeah. So I have a, a channel that documents my travel. That's kind of what motivated me to do this. I have so many people that watch that channel that are always like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. And I thought about just doing it on that channel, but uh, you know, so many people wouldn't be interested in it. I decided to start uh, you know, the separate channel, but yeah, I just document my travels. I've been traveling three years full-time, uh, internationally and, and in an RV for a little while. And, uh, I'm in Thailand now. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun. I just post my travels on that, on that channel. Yeah, that's fun. And if you guys want to hear more about the travel side of Kevin and how he started all that, uh, it's going to be on episode 271 of my other podcast, travel like a boss. But Kevin, thank you so much for coming on Invest Like a Boss and talking about your investment strategies as well as dividend uh, stocks. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Johnny. I really appreciate what you and uh, you and Sam do here. This is a, an amazing podcast. Yeah. Appreciate it, buddy. Okay, Johnny, I hope he convinced you to at least buy some individual stocks now. Come on. I mean, you're the index fund guy, but that was kind of cool, right? I like the idea of, of dividends, but I'd much rather just own a broad spectrum index fund that also happens to have index uh, dividends in the index fund. All right. I'll give you that. Um, there's actually quite a few ETFs I was looking into because we've been talking about a lot of ETFs lately. There's some really high dividend ETFs that, you know, have this giant basket of stocks and the payouts aren't bad. You know, you can, you can get a three, 4% uh, return on dividends just alone in those, which is a, considered a, a really healthy dividend. Yeah, it, it is great. And it's nice to know that you're, you know, you're earning you know, four or 5% and not touching the initial um, actual investment itself. I think it's really good for people who are either very conservative, maybe they're already retired or closer to retirement and they want that kind of um secure money coming in without touching the principal for me i'm more of a high risk high reward guy you know while still being relatively safe in a in a broad spectrum uh index fund or broad spectrum antibiotics whatever, whatever you want to call it <laughs> and just kind of catch it all or don't catch anything what do you what do you think about uh kevin obviously he still thinks about it the fact that if he had held on to his Amazon stock from back in the day, he'd, he'd own $21 million of Amazon. Does that kind of stuff, do you think about that stuff? Because there's stocks I bought past and I'll look them up and I'll go, oh my God, why did I sell it? Yeah, I don't think about that stuff because there's so many things that we could have spent money on that we didn't that is worth nothing today. Literally, there's millions of things that are worth nothing today. Right. Um, and if you had bought everything and just held on to it, 
you would just, you know, have a bunch of clutter and you'd be broke. So it's in retrospect and hindsight, it's really easy to, to think about these winners, but I guarantee it's all the things we can't remember <laughs> that <laughs> aren't worth remembering. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll give you that. So I want to, I want to talk about uh, quickly. He mentioned um, the, this list, uh, the dividend aristocrats list, which means it's a company that has grown their dividend for 25 years straight. But there's even a bigger list beyond that called the Dividend Kings. Now, that means that companies grown their dividend consistently for 50 years or more, which is crazy. So I looked up this list and there's actually how many stocks do you think in in the U.S. stock market are actually made that list of over 50 years increasing their dividend? I would say like 100. It's even lower. There's only 27 stocks in the whole market that qualify wow. as a Dividend King. And wow. lots of these... I haven't even heard of, or they just sound super boring, but I guess that's the point. Like the, the boring ones are the ones that are just consistently, you know, tossing out these checks. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of utility companies, um, a lot of just consumer products. So some, some ones you might've heard of like Procter and Gamble, uh, 3M Johnson and Johnson. Uh, you guys talked about Coca-Cola. They made the list, uh, Lowe's the, uh, like hardware store, Colgate, Palmolive, Hormel foods, um, Cisco, which is also foods, Altria, which makes cigarettes, um, things like that. Just kind of your, your below the radar giant companies, but pretty boring. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes investing boring is good. Um, so I do agree with this system for, for a lot of people, you know, especially if you're just risk averse or if you're a bit older or if you're retired, but it's not exciting for me. Like I, like, I like, I like seeing, uh, the actual principal growing faster uh, instead of just the, the dividends being reinvested. I think that's more of like a, a bonus or cherry uh, on top. Cause I, I think they've done studies where they've shown the higher the dividend uh, normally the, the less the actual principal grows. And it makes sense because you're taking money out of the company that you could have been reinvesting to grow the company or to mm -hmm. acquire other businesses to make your actual company worth more. Totally. I agree with that. Uh, one of my, one of my larger holdings that I actually have is uh, stock in AT&T and that gives off right now a seven and a half percent dividend, which is awesome, but the stock is just flat. So you're getting your seven and a half, but the stock's not going anywhere. So I, I agree with you. I'd rather have, I'd rather have the growth side of it as well. Yeah. And what's really funny is uh, with the MLPs that I bought a little bit less than a year ago, I bought it for the high dividend, but when they cut the dividend in half, that's when the principal grew <laughs> and now the actual stock is worth way more than I would have gotten from the high dividend. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because I know when, when we talked to uh, Bill Perkins last year about MLPs, that it, they were paying like 14% or something crazy. What are, they, what are they at now? I think they're less than 10 now. They might even be 8%. Which is still good, but you know, if you're going from 14 to that, um, uh, if you guys want to check out the Bill Perkins episodes, by the way, we did, uh, we did, we did two. The first one was... Uh, iLab 149, Die With Zero, his book, where he kind of initially mentioned them. And then we did a follow-up with iLab 159. So speaking of dividends cut, you know, I want to touch on this earlier, but what about dividends just disappearing? So we got, we got instances like COVID that happened that were pretty unprecedented. But now that it's happened once, I feel like something like that could definitely happen again. You know, if you're looking at like airline stocks, um, cruise stocks, you guys had talked about Disney. Disney actually suspended their dividend during COVID as well. So these giant companies that you think are, are indestructible, you know, they're, they're pretty mortal when big stuff happens. And the first thing to go is that dividend. Yeah. What I was afraid of was when they cut the dividend, 
that the stock price would actually drop because a lot of people were invested for the dividend. But right. it's strange that sometimes the the opposite happens where you know the market realizes these guys actually have more money now to invest and, and grow the business. Uh, let's and and you know that that's that it right, I guess. <laughs> let's get in. Yeah, totally. So I think I think also with, with with your MLPs too, it was the you know the price the price of gas was down and then now it's up and you know and they need to free up cash flow. So I mean it it can be a good thing too where you know if if they need the cash you know, instead of just giving it back to investors and you can keep the company more financially secure, you could look at it as a good move that way too, as well. Yeah. So I'm happy with, with my investment. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with the dividend checks that I get pretty much, you know, every quarter, uh, like clockwork through Vanguard and some months, you know, it's, thousand bucks because I've, I've a lot invested in there and and sometimes it's you know, 21 cents or something like really really small so to me it's a free bonus it's not money that i'm counting on or expecting but it is nice you know having it there yeah so what do you what do you do with your dividend money do you do you strictly reinvest it or is it you know maybe you take a little bit and buy yourself something nice <laughs> what do you do so right now, all of it is reinvested, except for my MLPs. I've uh, turned that off because my plan is to sell them just after a one-year maturity date. Uh, I feel like they've already gone up a lot and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, it was kind of just this big kind of gamble I wanted to, to take because I didn't know what else to buy uh, with my money. Uh, but now that there's other things I would rather do with my money, like physical property, uh, I'm going to sell those, going to kind of cut, you know, cut those, um, not as a loss, but as a, a take out the profit from that. Um, but for my actual stocks, my Vanguard account, I have it all reinvested. I think that's the best way to grow your stock portfolio, especially for retirement. But when I retire, you know, whatever that might be, you know, 65 or, you know, maybe, maybe even next year, I will then turn off those dividends and live somewhat off of that instead of having to sell shares all the time. Sure, that makes sense. And uh, on the tax note too, if we're talking about dividends, most people probably know, but just in case you don't, you know, your dividends are actually taxed at a different rate than uh, a regular in like investment income that you would make. So it's a little more complicated now. It used to be a flat 15%, I believe it changed recently. It could be as low as zero if you have a lower income. It could actually be tax-free in the US. Uh, or it could be 15 to 20%, depending on your income bracket. So that's also something to think of if, if, if you're using this as income to spend, you know, your dividend money, then it is a lower tax rate too. So that's kind of a nice little bonus. Yeah, that's fantastic. And actually, I didn't know about that until I was looking into selling my stocks. And that's why I turned off my dividends in the first place, because I was kind of assuming that the reinvested dividends, because it buys more shares, would trigger a short-term capital gains, but actually it, it doesn't, as you said. Uh, it just gets taxed at you know zero, fifteen, or maximum twenty, which is not very much more than the sh- the long-term capital gains rate. Yeah, which you know regular income rate you you know, could be as high as you know I think thirty-seven percent now. So definitely some money saving there. Uh, another reason to maybe look into some dividends if you're going to use it as I guess regular income to to live your life like Kevin does. Yeah, and speaking of which, how do you think? What do you think of his lifestyle? It's interesting. I, I don't know. See, I, I feel like I feel like he, he aligns closer to, to the way you live, where it's really minimalism. And I like that. But I also I feel like I'm, I'm a little hybrid of you and Sam. So <laughs> you're, you're over here. Sam's over there. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I want I want I want some things. I don't want a lot of things. But, I, you know, I, I'm not afraid to, to spend some money now and then to kind of live it up. And I don't want to 
I don't want to just think about, oh, that's so expensive. I can't afford it. Like, it's like, to me, I, you know, I, I work a lot and sometimes you, you got to treat yourself, Johnny. <laughs> got to treat yourself to those two fitted Kinkali's. <laughs> 285 now. Oh God. <laughs> 285. I, I would literally just buy one and be like, where's the rest of my food? I'm still hungry. <laughs> and then you got to add yeah, tip but, onto that too. It starts oh to add up, Johnny. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's been fun. Uh, it was really, really fun having Kevin on both uh, invest like a boss, but also on my I guess sister show travel like a boss, which is actually how we got the idea for this episode. If you want to take a look at that or listen to that and find out more about his travel lifestyle and how he lives, take a listen to 271 of travel like a boss podcast. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, check it out. Travel like a boss uh, podcast it's episode 271 with kevin martin awesome yeah i also want to give a shout out we got some new reviews in for the show so just look up invest like a boss on apple Podcasts. they make it a little tough you got to scroll down and fill it out but we really appreciate it if you guys do it uh from josh recently said uh whether you're well established as an investor or entrepreneur or just getting started carving out a profitable niche that's ready to grow this is a must listen podcast for you sam johnny and derek do an incredible job Leading conversations that cover a huge breadth of topics related to the ins and out, in and outs of building a thriving portfolio. Shout out Josh for that review. It really helps the show, guys. Uh, the show's doing really well, and we just want to keep it rolling. We're getting some great guests, you know, like Kevin, and we got some awesome ones lined up. Uh, we also got some new features if you're a Patreon. So sign up for uh, patreon.com slash invest like a boss, or just go to investlikeaboss.com. Some really cool high level bosses that you're going to have inside access to coming very soon. Yeah, that, that's going to be really excited. And we have the best name for it ever. It's called Boss Insider, where we're going to have small private uh, FAQs, basically, where you, get, you actually get to talk to somebody at some of these um, big investment companies to ask the questions that you want to ask them. You know, it's basically like a, you know, small group coaching call of saying, hey, I'm thinking about investing in your company or I'm thinking about buying your stock or whatever it is, but these are my questions. And this is literally like access that you just wouldn't be able to get any other way unless you were a big hedge fund or, you know, you're investing a million dollars, but this is going to be for anyone who is a Patreon. So, so go sign up, support the show uh, and pay for Derek's salary. Cause as you hear from Josh, Derek is really officially part of the team. Like he's in our reviews now. So, Congrats, Derek, for getting your name mentioned in the first uh, iTunes or Apple podcast review. I know. I just had to complain about it a few episodes ago, and then it magically happens. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is unprecedented access, I think, to, to if you're in, interested in a certain investment, we're going to have all kinds of uh, ranges of investments, you know, because people are interested in, in different topics. And you're going to literally get to ask a CEO, you know, why should I invest in, in this product or or anything else you want to know about it. So I think it's going to be a really cool program. It's called Boss Insider. So sign up, investlikeaboss.com. Click on become a patron. Yeah. And even the, the lowest level, the $5 level will get access. And don't worry, we'll actually record those and keep them in the Patreon for everyone else. So if you just can't make it that time, you can submit a question uh, and we'll record it and we'll make sure your answer gets uh, out there. So Derek, great talking to you. I'm glad you made it back to LA safely. Glad you're enjoying some Kinkali's and Georgian food. Everyone out there, go on uh, Yelp or Google Maps, or whatever you use. Look for Georgian restaurant near you and let us know how you like it. See you in the Boss Lounge. All right, see you guys. 
Thanks for listening to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.